Hi, my friend. I hope you have been finding this podcast helpful. Well, I have some good news for you. I have created the Decoding Obesity community just for you. This is a safe and judgment-free space for finding the accountability you need so that you can get started on your weight loss journey right away. And it's completely free. So head on over to www.decodingobesity.com forward slash Facebook to sign up. I'll see you in the community. This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Is alcoholism associated with obesity? While the data is fairly conflicting with regards to the link between alcoholism and obesity, there is some evidence to suggest this. Hi friends, welcome to another episode of the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Today's episode is going to be in two parts. I will be talking about the link between alcohol consumption and obesity in the first part and then I will be welcoming two amazing guests who have graciously agreed to share their story and how they overcame their alcohol addiction. Please do subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes and friends, don't forget to drop in a review on Apple Podcasts. It will really help spread the message. Now, researchers at the Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis published one of the most important studies done regarding the link between obesity and alcoholism in 2010. Now, they looked at the data from two large alcoholism surveys. The first survey was conducted between 1991 to 92, and then the second one was conducted between 2001 and 2002. What they found was that there was a significant association between familial alcoholism and obesity among men and women surveyed in 2001 to 2002. And this association was actually substantially greater in 2001 to 2002 when compared to the 1991 to 92 survey among women. And this was also statistically significant after adjusting for all the variables that could have contributed to this effect. Now, this is very interesting. They did find an association between familial alcohol problems and obesity, even in men, in the 2001 to 2002 survey, but the association was much smaller, and when they tried to adjust for the other variables, it wasn't statistically significant. They suspected that it was probably because of the change in our environment that they found this association between alcoholism and obesity. We all know that our environment has become more quote-unquote obesogenic, with an increased availability of the hyperpalatable foods, which we've talked about in the past. So the working hypothesis of the researchers was that this leads to a differential increase in the prevalence of obesity amongst individuals who are more vulnerable to addiction. While light to moderate alcohol intake is less likely to be a risk factor for obesity, heavy drinking and binge eating have more consistently been found to have a link to obesity. Well, what could be causing this? We just talked about the obesogenic environment. You know, of course, alcohol is a source of calories itself, which can increase the amount of calories consumed when it's consumed with a meal. Secondly, it can increase the appetite by modulating the hunger signals, causing one to consume more. It also causes a decrease in the inhibitory control, which may also lead us to eat more of the unhealthy foods, which normally we would have been able to restrain from if we were not under the influence of alcohol. We're also now discovering that there are certain similarities between alcohol dependence and those that lead to excessive cue eating. 
both obesity and alcohol addiction have been linked to the brain's reward system. So another possible explanation may be that in trying to avoid the alcoholic behaviors observed in their families, people may replace alcohol with a different kind of an addiction. We discussed this in detail in episode 33 wherein we talked about food addiction and the brain pathways that the hyperpalatable foods activate. So this was about all the data that we have regarding alcohol and obesity. And now I would like to welcome my two guests. Dr. Stefan Neff is an anesthesiologist, author, and an alcoholic in recovery. After studying medicine in Heidelberg, Germany, he traveled and worked in Europe and Australia before settling down with his family in the beautiful New Zealand. Over the last seven years that he has been alcohol-free, he has made every day a little bit better than yesterday. He shares this passion through his podcast, YouTube channel, and other social media, all titled A Different Life Story. In his book, My Steps to Sobriety, he shares the lessons he has learned as a doctor and as a man. My second guest is Janet Gourand. She is a Brit living in Cape Town. She has had many years of experience of corporate life in both Europe and South Africa. When she decided to stop drinking alcohol, she could find very little support available in South Africa. Janet eventually got sober by attending a workshop in London and connecting with others on the same path. As her journey continued, she decided to use her extensive experience in training and development to design and facilitate her own workshop in order to support people who wish to quit drinking. She founded Tribe Sober five years ago and has created an international community who was supported via a membership program and regular Zoom workshops. Welcome both of you. How are you doing today? Great, thank you. Lovely to be here. Indeed, same here. Fantastic day for an interview and a fantastic day to make a little bit of a change on interview at a time. Well, absolutely. Well, this is truly an international episode, right? I'm sitting in the US and Janet, you're sitting in Cape Town, South Africa, and then Stefan, you're in New Zealand. So it's truly global, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that's the way it should be, okay? Yeah. So if we have got three friends here around the microphone, how could we possibly fight wars against each other? <laughs> so if we can just do more <laughs> like that, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, I'm so excited to have both of you. Now, I did talk to you both a bit before this episode, and we kind of introduced each other. So I know, Stefan, you did notice some weight loss after you quit alcohol. But that really wasn't the case for you, Janet. It was a, you just lost a few pounds. But that may just be because you're naturally thin, right? Now, the reason for me doing this episode was not just to highlight the link between alcoholism and obesity, but also the fact that there are certain similarities that exist between alcohol addiction and the way hyperpalatable foods act on our brains and, you know, cause that kind of an addictive behavior. So let's talk about your stories. So, Stefan, what do you think caused you to have this alcoholism as an issue for you? Like with many other people, alcohol initially was my friend. It served a very good role because intrinsically I was quite shy as a as a teenager. I had my trauma as a teenager and, and a lot of nasty things had happened to me over my life. So it was not necessarily a nice life. And when you add alcohol into the mix in my 20s, suddenly I became more relaxed. Suddenly I forgot about my problems. I became the center of attention. I became a different guy. 
I can't sing so well, but that never stopped me. So the guitar came out and the singing started, the wine went around. And it's like, for girls, it's like moths to a flame. So suddenly I was interesting to the girls. And, you know, it was a beautiful, beautiful tool for me to alter my thoughts, alter my state. And for that, it was beautiful. There were many, many advantages initially in alcohol. But the problem, of course, is that I am an addict and I didn't want to accept that fact for a long, long time, which means that I can't stop. I just drink and whatever the consequences, it doesn't really matter. Right now, the drink is more important. And whilst that initially was not so apparent, once I moved down my path in my life, it was clear whenever there was a negative emotion, I dealt with it by drinking alcohol. And I never dealt with the emotions. I never dealt with the trauma. I never dealt with the bouts of, uh, of depression. I never dealt with really the PTSD from an assault, all these kind of things. So ultimately, when life got worse and worse, I drank more and more. And what about you, Janet? Oh, my story. Yes, it was my friend as well, Stefan. <laughs> until it wasn't, until I ended up writing a goodbye to alcohol letter. But yeah, it crept up on me over the years, like I think it does with so many people. In fact, 20% of social drinkers will become dependent over the years. So I'm one of many. But in my 20s and 30s, I would drink when I socialized, you know, a few glasses of wine here and there. But in my 40s and 50s, really, I think as I got more senior in my corporate career, I was still, you know, managing a family and juggling everything. I just got more stressed and, and I would come home from work and I would open a bottle of wine and that would be it. That would that bottle would end. <laughs> you know, I would have a a glass when I got in and then a glass while I was cooking and then a glass with dinner, glass with TV, one bottle gone down quite easily and more at the weekends. So I worked out I was drinking about 10 bottles of wine a week, but wow. I didn't think anything of it really until, well, I got divorced and remarried and unlike my first husband, my second husband wasn't really a drinker. And he was quite horrified when he saw how much I was putting away. And he said, I don't think you should drink that much. It's not good for you. So because I wanted to stay with him, you know, I really tried. And that's when I realized I was completely hooked because I could manage, you know, for maybe a week, two weeks without drinking much. And then I would have a crazy night and the wheels would fall off, you know, and that, in my heavy drinking Years I had breast cancer and you know chemotherapy, mastectomy, all that. Uh, well, obviously your doctors, you'll know better than I do, but I think that there's a link, you know, between cancer and alcohol and breast cancer especially. Absolutely. So I had breast cancer and also I started having blackouts and that, that was very frightening. Wow. The blackout that changed me and made me decide to stop was a walking, talking blackout, as I call it. I lost an entire afternoon, you know, I'd been with some friends, we'd gone for a walk, we'd done something, and then I woke up the next morning and they were chatting about it, and I couldn't remember anything. 
And that really frightened me, you know, because I think getting older and you worry about dementia and stuff. And I thought, <laughs> yeah. I've got to make a change. So I did finally, but, you know, far too late. My, I have absolutely no regrets of getting sober. I'm, I'm nearly six years now. My life has, has improved immeasurably. But uh, my only regret is that I didn't do it earlier, I think. Yeah, I think it's interesting, right? Because a lot of us have alcohol recreationally. And there are a few people who actually get addicted to alcohol. So there is certainly something inherent about the whole aspect of addiction and how some people may be more prone to addiction. And I think when it comes to these foods that we eat, I, you know, what you mentioned, Stefan, that you were trying to hide certain emotions under the garb of alcohol and that's very true even with food addiction at times or uh, you know the hyper palatable foods because a lot of times we, we talk about emotional eating if we're stressed we usually go for those high calorie foods and it's primarily the way your brain is working it's kind of acting as a stress buster for you to really decrease the stress levels just by using food and that is so important to understand the other thing I really took from both of your stories was really that, you know, it just creeps up on you. You don't really realize till you actually realize it that you're suffering from alcohol addiction, right? And it's very important for people to realize this. So let's talk about how it impacted your weight, Stefan. What did you notice? Well, alcohol, it's caloric dense and it's completely empty as a food. So I drank a little bit more than you, Janet. It took me a little bit more to quiet the demons deep inside so this would be two bottles and then some per session per day and on a good day probably more towards the end so that is a hell of a lot of calories remember each gram of alcohol yeah. is about eight calories so if you add that up i took all my calories in the form of alcohol and then of course you add the hyper palatable foods because that's what you do you eat a curry you eat a takeaway a pizza you have basically an absolute atrocious nutrition to start off with even if you pretend that you're cooking yourself something nice whilst you're slurping that bottle of wine that bottle of wine is stopping the absorption of all the good and important bits in your gut so you're actually hugely malnutritioned now when i stopped drinking there is of course the initial period of withdrawal of trying to get through that complete disequilibrium of your transmitters in the head and in my rehab it was okay to have sugar so there was always chocolate around there was always something around and i got these kind of snakes these gummy bear snakes and they became my rescue for every day i had at least one packet of these snakes and it was that sugar fix that the same as the alcohol did it gave me a bit of dopamine and just enough in my broken system to sort of be able to go through things and this cross addiction to sugar and to all the crap that you can eat that was certainly initially very very strong with me over time i then was able to reduce that and it was a strange journey up till today, I keep yo-yoing it because there are extreme times of stress in my life, however well I try to manage them. And of course, you're reaching back. Nowadays, I do no longer reach back to the cheesecake. 
or to the whatever chocolate trademark you can now insert here. I had my favorites and they would go down in industrial amounts when times of stress came about. Nowadays, I know how to handle that. Nowadays, I have recognized how much cross-addicted I am to sugar. Yep. And it's it's a true cross-addiction. It's as bad as cocaine, as meth, of as course. alcohol. Yeah. And I mean, we know from data that sugar is as addictive, if not more, as compared to cocaine, at least from the data from mice. We know this. What about you, Janet? Did you kind of substitute your alcohol with something else, some other foods at any point in time or no? Um, yeah, because normally I wasn't interested in any sweet things. But when I stopped, you know, obviously missing the sugar in alcohol, I did want a bit more, but I managed to keep it under control. But interestingly, I now work with people and, and I help them to get off the booze. Many, many people say, oh, you know, I'm not drinking, but I'm eating so many sweets, you know, and I'm putting on weight. And my attitude was always to say to them, well, you know, win on all fronts, focus on the booze, get sober, and then, you know, tackle the sweets. But recently, I interviewed a nutritionist on my podcast, and we were talking about this. And she said, you should tell them to eat fresh fruit, you know, just eat as much fresh fruit as they possibly can. And then even if they have to have a bar of chocolate after it, fine. But just tell them to get as much fresh fruit down them as possible, because then that'll give them the glucose that, you know, the body is craving. So I thought that was quite interesting. So I've kind of changed tack a bit on that. I tell people to to eat, you know, mangoes and really beautiful fruit and just eat as much as they can. People are having quite good results with that. That's great. I mean, it's great that you've brought this point up, both of you, because that's something that people don't understand, that there is a thing as foods being addictive themselves. Now, there is no definition, clear-cut definition of food addiction, but there are certain substances in foods that can be as addictive as other drugs, for example, alcohol, cocaine, and whatever. And that's very important to recognize because the problem with these foods is that they are they're hijacking those brain pathways, which are the addictive pathways. And you really lose that control over yourself when you're consuming these foods. And that's where the problem is. So it becomes more than the willpower that's involved in taking care of yourself in terms of obesity as well, just like with any other addiction. And I'm so glad that you brought this point up because it's really important to understand that like you, Stefan, you replaced one addiction with another kind of an addiction. And it becomes very difficult to overcome this addiction and you really require some help. So this brings me to my next question. How did you guys overcome. So let's start with you, Janet. What made you change and what kind of helped you get over this? Well, I trotted along to AA because that's what you do when you've got a drink problem. (laughs) Yeah. But I hated it. I just couldn't find my people there. You know, I went to several meetings, even an all ladies meeting, but I just, I think I felt as if I didn't fit in because I wasn't quite far down the line. You know, a lot of people there, they were drinking whiskey in the morning and bottle of vodka a day and some of them had lost everything and in fact it was a bit counterproductive because I used to leave those meetings sometimes thinking well I'm not that bad you know (laughs) I'm all right with my bottle of wine a day I'm lightweight here so that wasn't good because I knew I had to do something so eventually as I say I found this workshop in London and it was quite simple it was just a one-day thing they gave us lots of tools and strategies but most importantly I met other people like me, you know, women with good jobs, nice families that were drinking a bottle of wine a night. So I could really relate. 
and we all swapped phone numbers and kept in touch. Yeah, I managed to stay on track. But the big kind of game changer for me was uh, reading a book by Annie Grace called The Naked Mind. I don't know if you know that book, but it's absolutely brilliant. And it's all about how you need to change your mindset. Because us drinkers, we just believe that we can't possibly have fun without alcohol. And that's why I've carried on drinking for all those years, because I couldn't imagine my life without it. So I kept trying to cut down and cut down and I couldn't. And when I eventually stopped, it was much easier. But then I had to, you know, get my head around it. So I think we all and society, of course, you know, encourages this. We all believe, you know, we can't socialize without alcohol. We can't have fun without alcohol. We can't relax without alcohol. So we have all these limiting beliefs in our subconscious and we have to turn them around and then actually prove to ourselves that they work. And the way I did that, because I always felt that I couldn't possibly socialize without alcohol, you know, I wouldn't be interested in events where (laughs) they didn't have alcohol. (laughs) So to get myself over that, I forced myself to go to lots of events sober. And I absolutely hated most of it. And I was completely (laughs) miserable. Sometimes I would last 10 minutes and I'd do a runner. But I did it over and over again. And I would write it up in my journal when I got home. And gradually, I was coming home in a taxi one night, I still remember this, and I thought, oh, that was such an interesting evening, you know, and I met this one and that one, and I'm going to have coffee with that lady next week. And it just occurred to me that I'd really enjoyed my evening and I hadn't been drinking. So that was like a turning point for me. I realized it could happen. So after that, things got easier. So I think it's a mindset thing because willpower, there's been research on willpower quite recently. And they're talking about it now as if it's a kind of muscle you know it has finite strength you can't absolutely yeah you can't keep relying on willpower so that's why i think changing your thinking about alcohol is is the key to making a change yeah what about you stefan i was blessed that my wife had organized an admission to a rehab hospital called capri and seven years ago this was the most beautiful bubble I could have entered where suddenly I was thrust into an environment where everyone was an addict once upon a time, from the nurses to the nutritionist to the yoga teacher. Every single person I met there was an addict or is an addict, but they were all clean and they were all living lives so beautiful that I thought, wow. So that blew me away to start off with, because my perception was a bit like that of Janet. What do you mean to not drink? How the hell can you have some fun? And more importantly, how the hell can you keep the demon quiet? How the hell can you not think about all the negative things? And they demonstrated to me that you have to deal with the negative emotions and started giving me tools to helped me do exactly that. They worked with me. It was a 12-step based program and we did it together and you had homework and you had to go through your resentments, your anger, your guilt feelings, your shame, all of those things. So that was a huge part that helped me accept those things that had occurred to me and maybe those things that I had triggered myself, how I contributed to some of the negative things that had occurred to me in my life. 
and then the lack of coping mechanisms that I had. So there I was changing not just my attitude. I mean, I changed absolutely everything in my head. And it's like you, Janet, I regret that I did it so late. Nowadays, I say that a month in rehab should be mandatory for every 16-year-old. As part of school, you go into rehab and actually learn these techniques and learn to get the insight and figure out why you tick the way you tick and why you are tempted by your chocolate, by your alcohol, whatever device is. I call it vice, that's a bad word. <laughs> whatever, whatever ever gives you that dopamine relief and you can't say no to that dopamine relief. May it be gambling, may it be for a young man to sit on the computer. So, but all these insights I did not have. Yes, I was not too stupid being a doctor and being a go-getter. I thought I knew it all as far as I was (laughs) concerned. And I didn't recognize what was going in, what was going inside, what happened inside of me. So I think it is such an important thing that you have people who can show you, who hold a mirror in front of your face, who are walking aside of you and who you can see, wow, you guys all have been in the same boat as me. And look at you now. You're very yeah. different. Do you think you guys had accountability or did you have a group support? And do you think that was important in all of this? What do you think? Utterly, utterly, yeah, utterly. Yeah. That is how you beat addiction. That's what yeah. a 12-step program is about. And I loved it, uh, Janet, that you said you didn't find your tribe there. You didn't find the people. With the 12-step programs, with the meetings that I attended, I had exactly the same thing because there are so many reasons that people go there and many reasons or many people who go to a meeting, they actually don't do the work. Maybe they're incapable of or maybe they they are not being led in the appropriate way. So you have got people there who have been dry for 20 years, but the only reason they're dry is that they're every night. They're attending a program and telling everyone the same story, how bad his life was for 20 minutes and hijacking the meeting. And it is, oh my God, there were meetings when I walked out and thought, damn, I need a drink. No, wrong. I want a drink. And that was counterproductive. Yet the 12-step programs are actually very good. The 12-step in its own right. Once you actually peel back all the, maybe the older-fashioned sales techniques where you add God into everything, once you take that apart and actually look at what the 12-step program is and work through it, hell, it makes perfect sense. And that's what I put into my book, My Steps to Sobriety. I basically describe the 12 steps as a structured way how to approach a failing business. So if a maid of you comes here and says, look, Stefan, you're so good in your business. I do the same business and I struggle. Well, what you do? You would help him. And the 12 steps are a perfect way how to approach that in a systematic fashion. Yeah, Yeah, there's a a book by a guy called Russell Brown. I don't know if either of you know him. I know him because he's a Brit. But he's written a book about the 12 steps, calling it Manual for Life. You know, I think there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah. You know, that's great because like any addiction, I mean, community and support is really important. And a lot of times, unfortunately, what ends up happening with weight loss is the person who's struggling from obesity is actually blamed for it. And a lot of times people find themselves alone in that journey, in that weight loss journey, because 
we have this whole concept of it being the person who's suffering from this disease, it being his or her fault. And that's kind of very different when you look at it, because if you're suffering from some addiction, yes, there's a lot of help available around, and we recognize this addiction as a separate disease and that it, people require additional support and additional help. But I'm glad to see that there are a lot of other avenues opening up and other support groups sort of popping up for even for people for, uh, with suffering from obesity. And I think that's really important. That's really key, finding accountability and finding a community that can really help you even with your weight loss journey, because it's a very long journey. It's not a small step. It's not just about decreasing your calories. And it, you have to maintain that kind of the lifestyle change that you're doing. And you really need somebody to help you remain accountable to yourself, have a community where you find people who have similar goals and are trying to be on the similar path, just like you. And I think that's very important, right? So I have actually started a community and I made sure that it's a very safe space where people do not come in and just randomly start spamming. So I started a community and it's free. It's a closed group for people with weight loss so that they can find the support there that they need. And it's called Decoding Obesity Community, just named it after my podcast. And listeners, if you want to check out the community, head on over to www.decodingobesity.com forward slash Facebook, and then you can join it. This is absolutely free. I just wanted to create a safe space for people to discuss everything about obesity and do it in an open fashion so that we are all learning and we are all here to help each other. And that's really important. So both of you, how do you think alcohol affected your personal relationship? Uh, Janet, we'll start with you. I know you had, you mentioned to us that your marriage, uh, you entered a new marriage and your husband was not drinking alcohol. So did that affect oh, your relationship? very much so, yes, yes. I mean, he's French and the French have a very different attitude to alcohol <laughs> than, the, than us Brits, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of tension and I tried really hard many times. But looking back, I mean, hindsight is, is everything, isn't it? I was going wrong because I kept saying, I'll cut down, I promise I'll cut down. I remember looking up the so-called safe limits, you know, what was it, one and a half bottles of wine a week, and I was thinking, oh no, I drink that a night. So I'd be, you know, making little marks in my diary how many units I'd had that week, and, and it was hopeless. So my problem was that I was trying to cut down. I never even thought of giving up completely, it just seemed inconceivable. But, I mean, this went on for years, and, you know, we'd have... Because he could see that I was trying. <laughs> but then, you know, I'd have a, a really bad escapade. And, you know, the next day there would be a huge row that I had to cope with as well as a crushing hangover. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we're really stuck in this pattern. It was sad. Then, you know, I got the breast cancer and, you know, he's oh, well, yeah. stuck with me all through that. But we didn't, neither of us really talked about whether alcohol was related to that and that. Uh, in fact, I remember asking my oncologist when he finally, you know, signed me off. And I said, well, you know, I don't want this coming back again. What shall I do? I'll do anything. I'll eat healthy. I'll drink lots of water. I won't touch alcohol. What do you think? And he said, oh, I think you should just go away and eat and drink whatever you want. You just, you've got through something big here. You need to just enjoy yourself. So I did. You know, <laughs> I got carte blanche to carry on drinking, really. So I carried on and then the blackouts came. Right. You know, it got to a stage with my husband when he was kind of issuing ultimatums, really, because wow. it wasn't much fun for him. You know, he hated to see me destroying myself. 
which I was because, you know, we'd known each other for a long time. He knew, you know, I had a lot of potential and I'd achieved a lot. And he could see me kind of going down the drain because my life was shrinking. And if you got to that stage, Stefan, but you just lose interest in, you know, lots of lovely things. You don't want to go for a walk. You don't want to play with the kids. You just want to sit down and have a drink. So he could see, you know, my life was shrinking. So, yeah, I mean, it caused a lot of issues. And my son, I mean, I've got a grown-up son. So he never really said anything about my drinking. But since I've stopped, you know, he says things like, oh, I'm so glad you stopped drinking, you know. He said you were such a pain sometimes. <laughs> and he says, you know, how proud he is of me now. And that's, that's lovely. So that's brought us a lot closer. But to answer your question, yes. And what about you, Stefan? Hugely. Hugely, because I think alcohol is an amplifier with regards to the emotions that are that your body needs to deal with. And if you're all encompassed in your anger or rage, in past, in those things that are negative, then it gets worse and worse. So I think I was a very angry man, probably to a degree rightly so, because what had occurred to me. But... I did never deal with it. So I, the the wound was always festering and the alcohol was not a band-aid. It was more like, like fuel on fire because it has made it worse. And then when you're angry, you make irrational decisions that you then later regret. You know, the best email you have ever regretted. Oh, I wrote many of them. Okay. So those kind of things. So <laughs> it is, the alcohol is brutal when it comes to that i had rows that make the cold war or an imaginable third world war look like children's play okay wow. between my wife and me because she hit the bottle i hit the bottle and we had no no idea how to deal with our emotions fast forward to nowadays it's virtually impossible for my wife and me to have a row we have learned to recognize that if someone says, <laughs> that really means they're in distress. They're really, they're stressed and they, what they need is a hug. But, you know, when I say they, if my wife tries to bite my head off, then I do not respond. I do not immediately shoot from the hip and come back and within three sentences things are flying for the, the kitchen no i rather want to give her a hug which she hates when she's angry or i just sit down and say what's really going on and typically whatever she's angry about that's not really what the issue is so we try to figure out what's going on and express in a way that we don't trigger each other and say what's going on and we are honest so i would say look the way you talk to me right now really hurts me what's really going on what worries you and boom suddenly she opens up and the same with me so i might come home being quite hangry and i don't realize that i am hungry that i'm a little bit tense and angry from work because things might not have gone so smooth a bit tired i'm dehydrated 
well, give me those four. And A, in the past, I would have had cravings immediately. Right. Give me three of them, I had cravings. Give me four of them. I saw the condensation of the water running the outside of the wine glass. And there was this vision, where's the next alcohol, alcohol place? You know, that kind of stuff. Nowadays, that's all gone because I recognize what is going on. So your yeah, alcohol is, as far as relation is concerned, it was evil. Alcohol is a solvent. It dissolves marriages, it dissolves bank accounts, it dissolves everything. And I think that is so important. Throw that out, learn how to deal with your emotions, recognize who you really are, work on that work on the underlying you and make little decisions that change you every day. And suddenly, in my case now, seven years down the line, I'm in such a powerful position. I've got all these tools and most of the time I choose to use them. And so therefore my life is actually bloody fantastic. I absolutely love it. And no, I don't miss the rouse with my wife whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting. Stefan, I have another question for you, actually. Mm-hmm. You'd mentioned that you replaced your alcohol addiction with uh, sugar addiction. How did you end up tackling that? And what do you do now when you get those cravings? There are times when I do give in and where I accept, no, right now, I actually want that. But it becomes literally a treat this happens once in a blue moon and i say you know what i've had such a crazy crazy day i want that cheesecake i truly want and i go and buy myself a cheesecake but i do no longer buy the whole cheesecake i buy a little bit of cheesecake i have however found so many other ways so many other outlets that i much rather use so There are cravings with regards to food, no two ways around it. And by doing regular eating, that is one thing that I found, you know, I was, I was doing sort of the Bridget Jones diary kind of diet, a salad leaf in the morning, maybe two salad leaves at lunchtime, and then bring on the triple cheese pizza at nighttime (laughs) and the tub of ice cream. So that kind of stuff, once I realized this was actually my pattern, I said, nah. So I eat regularly and I eat those things that are really good for me. And I try to make them as yummy as I can. So at work, I've got a standing order for some chicken breast with lots of spices and lots of veggies with that. So that is what I eat at lunchtime. In the morning, I've got some some nice porridge that in the past I would have never eaten. But nowadays, I put some protein powder in there and make it really nice. So I've got breakfast, uh, lunch, and then in the evening, we eat healthy and I have cravings, but what I use is fruit. I use frozen cherries. It's it's hot here in, in New Zealand at the moment. So I use frozen cherries or frozen raspberries, etc. And just eat them, basically. I crunch them and let them dissolve in my, my body, which, which cools me down, gives me a lovely sugar fix uh, <laughs> in, in a kind of a healthy way. Yeah. And that is fine. So, you know, half a kilogram of cherries is about 200 calories. And 
whilst that is one Tim Tam, two Tim Tams are probably the same thing. So if you look at the amounts that you can suddenly eat of really yummy, healthy food, where you don't get much of a guilt trip and a shame feeling afterwards, well, that's actually quite nice. Yeah, that's interesting that you point that out. Uh, I think eating healthy is so important, but you really have to make an actual effort, right? Because that is that the addictive pathways are activated. So you really need to make a very conscious effort. And so you both of you rightly pointed out mindfulness plays such a big role in all of this, or actually not just mindfulness about eating, but the fact that you have to have that, that mental work that you need to get done before you actually start eating healthy is so important because it's so easy to fall back into those uh, similar behavioral patterns or eating patterns and whatever have you. So before we close, what would be your advice to others who are kind of, you know, in a similar struggle and who basically may or may not have such support available to them? So what would be your advice to those people? Let's start with you, Janet. Well, find a community. I mean, I see it over and over again when communities get together and they've all got the same issue. It's such a feeling of relief you know, because there's so much shame around, for a woman especially, so much shame around drinking too much, so much shame around being overweight. But when you're with other people, you realize, you know, actually, there's nothing wrong with me. You know, I've just got into this fix. You know, I mean, with alcohol, it's because it's almost foisted upon us every day, you know, for years and years, and some of us will get hooked. And with food, obviously, I mean, there's just so many temptations. So we realize, you know, that we're not alone, that there's other people in this. Other people will keep you on track. And I would say, you know, work on your thinking, on your mindset, you know, certainly about drinking. I think that alcohol is given too much credit, you know, too much credit for the good times. Because when you analyze a social event, the, the good times come from the people that you're with and where you are and what you're doing. It's not really what's in your glass. But somehow, you know, because we've all been brainwashed by the liquor industry or the advertising and there's societal norms. I often, you know, if uh, I'm with people I don't know and they're offering me a drink and I say, oh, I don't drink. And they look at me as if I'm crazy. You know, I mean, we have to I say to people, we have to be the rebels, you know, us non-drinkers. Be a rebel, right, don't yeah. be a sheep. <laughs> yeah. But you find your community. Fine? That's my, my best advice. Yeah. What do you have to say, Shifan? Many of the things that Janet is so true. You guys out there, if you tuning in here because alcohol has played a role in your life, be aware that you are up against a, a trillion dollar industry. And there are some very, very, very clever people there who are manipulating you like sheep every single day. The other issue is that we are living in a society where there's immediate gratification on social media. You put so much stress on yourself. You have to look always the same way. And I'm sure there are women out there who have, I'm sure they have got another side of the face, but you never see it because it's always how they look like. So there's so much crap going on that you put onto yourself or other people put onto you so you're actually fighting a losing battle if you don't recognize what is going on i think the key thing is that you need to learn to love yourself you need to learn to see the person that is deep inside you need to be able for a moment to shine the spotlight in the nooks and crannies in your brain and trying to find that person and cultivate that person 
and bring that person out with all the passion, with all the energy in your life that you don't even know is there. I live nowadays a life that is so full of energy. It's unbelievable. And I would have never predicted that. But I see it. That's why I do my show. That's why I do the book. That That's why I keep doing what I'm doing to show that not only can you possibly get better, you actually have all this path waiting in front of you that you guys can go on. And you go there as, as, as with every walk, you have to take action. But some of the actions are not so nice. You have to deal with your negative emotions. There are damn good reasons that you drink. There are damn good reasons that you binge eat because obviously something is missing or there is a trauma. You need to learn how to deal with that. And for that, you need help. So whilst it is a very important to have a community with whom you can bond, without that, you're so much worse off. So no two ways around it. You need a community, you need peers, etc. But you need to do the work. You need to have one-on-ones with a person who knows what he she is talking about. Ideally, a psychologist or a life coach who has been an addict and a very obese addict before and has now got their shit together. If you work with such a person who then guides you through the negative emotions, who guides you through what is really going on, that is where the magic starts to happen. That's where the aha moments come like crazy where no day is the same ever again because you start evolving with such a speed i mean it's, it's warp speed it's beautiful so go out there guys find your tribe find the people that can help you create a team of people where you are the stupidest member of that team have a life coach have a performance coach have a nutritionist have a psychologist that is so important. Once you do that, suddenly the chocolate is no longer so important. Suddenly the alcohol does no longer play a role. It's amazing. Trust me, believe me, it's gorgeous. Yeah, that's yeah we always fun. say in our group that sobriety has enabled us to create a life we don't want to escape from. Yeah, that's really profound. Yeah. And you know, you talked about the trillion dollar industry, the alcohol industry. I think it's something similar even with the food industry, yeah. right? Mm. There's oh. so much of money being pumped into the marketing and everything of all these hyperpalatable foods. That definitely plays a role. And I think it's very important to recognize all of this because what ends up happening with food is that it's something that we eat every day. It's something that we need to subsist. And that's where the problem begins because it's not looked at in the same light as, um, say, recreational drugs like alcohol or any of other recreational drugs that are used. And that's where kind of the pro- where the problem starts. Now, when you start looking at foods as either hyperpalatable or actually minimally processed or ultra processed foods, then that shift occurs wherein you realize, okay, this is the food that I really consciously need to make an effort onto eating rather than what's being marketed. Nobody's going to market broccoli or cauliflower. Uh, exactly, exactly right. Maybe we should start <laughs> an advertising campaign. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should. Friends, accountability is such an important piece in the weight loss journey. So join us in the Decoding Obesity community to get the help you need. This is absolutely free and a safe, secure place to discuss all your weight issues. Head on over to www.decodingobesity.com forward slash Facebook to sign up. 
Thank you so much, Stefan and Janet, for joining me and sharing your journey. This was really profound. I'm sure my listeners are going to find it super helpful. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I really appreciate you all. It was an absolute pleasure and an honor. Thank you very much for having me on your show. I do appreciate that a lot. Yeah, me too. That's all we have time for today. I'll see you all next time. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.